working on an in-depth bespoke design podcast series for a while now, but then the world turned upside down with a pandemic which shall not be named. Hint, it rhymes with schmoronavirus. We thought to ourselves, selves, couldn't we all use a little distraction right now, sooner rather than later? So we decided to condense and fast track our podcast for you into pre-season minisodes. We're leaning into quarantine lifestyle and binge watching and binge reading some of our favorite design shows, documentaries, books, and articles, and then we're gossiping about them right here. Don't worry, our bigger podcast is still in the works, but in the meantime, consider this a taste of things to come. Think of it as a podcast amuse-bouche. Exactly. I'm Maeve Parker, and I'm joined by Charlene Williams. We are designers, work wives, and business besties. And this is Design Gossip, a podcast for the creatively curious. Today, we're gossiping about Ingrid Fettel Lee's book, Joyful, The Surprising Power of Ordinary Things to Create Extraordinary Happiness. So go ahead, pop in your earbuds, and get ready to add a little joy to your life. Yay, let's get started. So to start, this book, Joyful, is a nonfiction exploration of objects and physical qualities and experiences and how those things make us feel and also how we can use those things to cultivate more joy in our lives. The author Ingrid Fettel-Lee breaks down the qualities into 10 categories, which each get their own chapter. Today, we're going to talk about the book as an overview. And then in our next episode, we'll take a closer look at a few of the categories. So Charlene, you proposed reading this book, and I'm curious, where did you find this book? What drew you to it? I just remember just all of a sudden it being in my Instagram feed from every designer that I follow, Pinterest, kind of all over the place. So I think it just came to me in in many ways, so I knew it was meant to be. Nice. Well, this is jumping in, but I loved it. What did you think of it overall? I love it. I think about it so many times in so many different aspects of my life. I even today, in your spirit of dressing for the occasion, I have a little surprise, a pop of bright pink lipstick. <laughs> Trying to bring a little joy. It's to covered this up morning. by your mic, but I'll imagine it there. <laughs> <laughs> I should have stuck, stuck some fake lips on the other side. You had mentioned that you watched her TED Talk, which... I, you had said pretty much sums up the book. Yeah, I would say, listeners, if you have not read the book yet, I think starting with the TED Talk is a great jumping off point because it really summarizes the book and gives you a lot of visuals to go with it. That's a really good primer. So the structure of the book, if we want to give a little bit of an overview, Ingrid Fedeli was, sounds like a design student, and during one of her last reviews in school, a teacher pointed out that there was this thread of joy through all of her work, which sparked an investigation into what are those aesthetics? How does joy appear? How do we get more of it? Yeah. And one thing I loved about this book is that she gives concrete, tangible, aesthetic qualities to describe things that are joyful, where I feel like a lot of times design leaders, they get very ephemeral and abstract and it's almost like talking about the physical things is a little gauche so i like that she had those actual tangible examples so things like circles bright colors multiplicity of things symmetry order things that are surprising those really helped me visualize how to implement the things in this book in a real life way 
Yeah, and such a wide range. Everything from naturally occurring things like cherry blossoms to architecture to moments of play in the animal world. Like she really gives a wide range of examples too. I think it was particularly helpful how she broke up the 10 categories, which actually end up being the chapters. So she goes in, she breaks down the joyful experiences or aesthetics into energy, abundance, freedom, harmony, play, surprise, transcendence, magic, celebration, and renewal. One idea that comes up throughout the book, and she actually opens and closes the book with this idea, is that joy is something that we're almost not supposed to care about, especially the aesthetics of joy. And those things are often thought of as frivolous, childish, feminine, extravagant. This really hit a nerve with me reading this because I felt really validated by her ascribing importance to those aesthetic things that give us joy. Maybe this is a little bit of a personal hang-up from some of my own design experience, but it seems like when you're working on a product, sometimes, not with not with everyone you work with, but sometimes it's almost like the actual form and the function is considered almost like more virtuous. And the print and the color, which is where people like you and I come in, is thought of as expendable or not crucial or not necessary. And she really rejects that idea. And the whole book is about not just print and color, but about how those things that can be considered frivolous are actually important. Absolutely. Especially when she talks sometimes about literally people's health being affected by colors and shapes and nature that are around them. I mean, yeah, it has some big implications. This book made me think of when we were working for our ex in the corporate world, how we both worked on kids stuff and stuff that's supposed to be really fun and joy would be implied in there. And I just remember those meetings that would get so serious. And then there were some times that it, it, it stayed lighthearted. And I felt like if we're not all smiling in this room and getting joy from this, what are we doing? If it doesn't evoke that joy, we're not really quite doing our job. It's like things got too pared down. I think it's a good, a good gut check of like, am I still feeling joy when I look at this for the 10th revision? <laughs> Another thing she describes, she talks about a friend that get so much joy from cut flowers. And I really relate to that. But she says this friend has reservations about buying them, even though they make her so happy because it's seen as an extra expense and not necessary and frivolous. But if we can give ourselves permission to budget for those things that do make us so happy, why don't we do that? That makes life worth living. I remember as a kid thinking being an adult is a, is like being able to buy fresh flowers every week and always having fresh flowers of which I have, you can't really see, but a, a bouquet of tulips in the back there. Yeah. Um, which they fade really fast. <laughs> but yes, that was to me this, like I've made it and I'm an adult if I can splurge on fresh flowers. Speaking of fresh flowers, I listened to the Trader Joe's podcast inside Trader Joe's and there's one episode where they interview the flower buyer which just sounds like such a dreamy job and she talks about how in other countries flowers are considered a grocery item like you just get them and it's also something that you appreciate the whole life cycle of like even before it blooms and then even while it's wilting you kind of are getting joy from watching the whole cycle and I just loved thinking about that with flowers 
she talks to a florist in part of the book and the florist says that some people are so concerned with how long this flower is going to last and the florist says well this one not long but it's going to make you so happy for the day that it is on your kitchen table so does that negate that joy that you could get if you're just shopping with that one criteria i'm totally on board with that Mm-hmm. <laughs> make it intense, make it beautiful, even if it's going to be short-lived. Yeah. 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 Better to have loved than to not love at all. Right. <laughs> that right. kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I also had this moment. There's a food shelf right near where I live and I walk the dog past every day. And, you know, they've really thankfully been getting a lot of stuff because they've been laying it out outside versus having people come inside. And I was so delighted to see there was this whole area of donated flowers for people. Uh, I think different grocery stores give surplus or restaurants. They can drop things off at these food shelves so it doesn't go to waste and then people can just come and pick things up. But versus things just being food and about sustenance and your actual needs to have something as beautiful as these huge bouquets of flowers that people can bring home, especially like it's not quite green in Minnesota yet here. And we all need a little brightness and joy in our house that I was I was so surprised to see that. This is another tangent, but speaking of flowers, so I've been growing my little seedlings on the windowsill here for a couple months and they're almost ready to transplant outside. And we have since discovered in the last few weeks that we have a snake nest in our yard. They're harmless. It's just there's a lot of them. Like you go outside and you'll see a dozen snakes. It's just too many snakes and I have nightmares about them. So I decided that one thing I wanted to do to help make myself less afraid of the snakes was to give them fun names for each one that we find. So I really needed this book this week because it really helped me name some snakes. So we named some pom-pom, ice cream, buttercream, pinwheel, rainbow. Like those are all words I need to associate with these terrifying creatures that are taking over my yard right now. So all those snake names are words that I drew directly from the book. Oh, Maeve, I thought you were going to say you have a bunny that was eating things or something. (laughs) (laughs) Snakes. I didn't know that was a thing. We've been catching buckets of snakes and moving them to the park every day. (laughs) Buckets of snakes. Buckets of snakes. (laughs) Okay, but let's get back to joy. Back to joy. (laughs) Yes, what is the opposite of joy? Uh, I really appreciate at the beginning of the book how Ingrid differentiates joy from happiness. And her definition to sort of help you separate the two is joy is an intense momentary experience of positive emotion. I like her description of skipping, jiving, twirling, giggling, jumping up and down kind of feeling where happiness is about that positive feeling over a longer time period. And I realize when I think about joy, I think I was thinking of it as happiness. So I love, just like you were talking about the flowers, that this is an intense, brief moment and Makes sense why they stand out to us more. Is there anything new in your life lately that has brought you joy? Well, okay. We're in a in a house search right now. So looking at homes and comparing things. And even when we did a visit of a home, both 
Ryan and I loved the home. It had been recently redone. But the neighborhood, we both looked at each other and we're like, we just feel like the neighborhood's sad. It was a nice neighborhood, perfectly nice. But then we started noticing little details of there's no real curves in the street. And there weren't curbs or sidewalks. The grass just kind of ends at the pavement. Just all these little cues that you pick up on. And then on the flip side, I'm trying to fix up our condo to be the most appealing to other people. So I'm really trying to apply some of these things, especially as she talks about surprise and leaving enough space. Definitely trying to pare things down so we can highlight the the good moments and whatever. So anyway, applying this to the house hunt and selling our current condo. So that leads me to another question. Do you like, especially your creative workspace, do you prefer it to be uh, brightly colored, eclectic, messy, or do you like your creative workspace to be white and clean and organized? I like my workspace to be mostly white and light. And one thing that I really liked in the book, Ingrid Fedeli talks about her own desk and how it works. She has three wooden tops that she keeps on her desk and she'll spin one whenever she feels like she's stuck just to kind of reset her mindset. And I I love that idea. I think I'm going to steal it. So in here, Ingrid talks about the idea of workspace environments. And, you know, I prefer a clean, organized space, like working from home, the rest of the house can be a mess, but I have a white desk. Everything on my desk is white or a frosted gold or neutral wood. I need everything to be organized and white. And I I tried to think to myself, is that, am I ruining my creativity? But then I think back to my studio in art school or working in the corporate world where I had all these things hung up and all this inspiration. But, you know, I think when you see it every day, all day, it loses its effect. When you hang up all images or bright colors and stuff, it's like you don't even see it. It just becomes static in the background anyway. And then it makes me feel like, ooh, like there's all this stuff happening and busy that I think I feel more like when you watch fashion shows, how many designers just dress in black, something super simple, even if they do a ton of wild prints and color. It's like you're so inundated by you need a blank canvas for rest or something. Yeah, I totally think you're onto something there. Like you need to clear the slate so that you can have a space for this more joyful and stimulating creation to happen. Yeah, or I get to focus my joy in one area versus it just bleeding everywhere. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because if you think of artist studios, I can't really think of any that aren't white. And, you know, when you look at these other museums and like the Louvre, and they have colored walls, but they also have those super ornate frames that it just really has to be more of a modern thing where we've created these rules that like let the artwork shine, don't put a crazy frame on it, put it in a white space. So you kind of focus on stuff. So maybe maybe we wouldn't feel like that if we were <laughs> back in the Renaissance. But yeah, well, uh, this is another tangent, but there's a museum here. Have you heard of the Barnes in Philly? Yes. So the Barnes is this museum that it's all these mostly impressionist masterpieces that were collected by this wealthy doctor kind of before impressionism was in vogue. So he bought up all these amazing priceless paintings before they were very valued. And so he made his own museum himself 
and he hung them. He has all, the, there's these paintings and they're all just crammed in this museum. And the way he would juxtapose, like he has like a medieval lock that he hangs next to a painting because that relation spoke to him somehow. And I remember the first time I was there, we looked and there was like a very famous Van Gogh just tucked in the corner, like <laughs> near the floor. No other museum would put their Van Gogh down there. And just seeing those works displayed in a different way really resets how you experience them. So yeah, <laughs> but kind of like how she's talking in the book about resetting. She talks about visiting this Japanese apartment that was designed with the intention of reversing the effects of aging by kind of keeping you on your toes with how you interact with the apartment. For example, the floors are uneven and there's a desk that's set into the set into the floor and there's outlets on the ceiling and nothing is where you think it is. And just by experiencing this, it recalibrates your senses and makes you see uh, and experience the world in a new way once you've left the apartment. And I kind of feel like the Barnes does that for art museums. This book also made me think of collectors that absolutely, I am not a collector. I've had moments where I aspired to be a collector of things. You see these beautiful Instagram posts from people like um, Lisa Congdon will She's a collector and she'll arrange all of her erasers in this beautiful, organized fashion and take a photo or whatever that this book really explained to me a lot of the reasons why people might be collectors and and why just putting those things together looks so beautiful, even if it's a lot of little things. Yeah, it becomes really impactful. I was trying to think of after reading this book, what are some of my favorite brands that just jump out at me as being joyful. Do you have any of your favorite stores or brands that you think embody the spirit of this book? Yes, Poketo. I feel like at least their aesthetics right now, really everything looks like visual confetti to me that I love their color and style. I would say, of course, she's local, but Ashley Mary, her murals that she's been doing Oh, if they're like, I could have her do every bit of my home and never get sick of it, I think, with all of her murals and bright shapes and colors and all abstract, but somehow feel familiar and feel very childlike that they they definitely spark joy for me. How about you? So I think of Sunny Life. They're a brand from Australia. They make pool floats and it's mostly beach and summer accessories. They have cute little radios and beach umbrellas and pool floats and everything is just so I keep saying joyful and we need a thesaurus even though that is the word of the book everything is just so kind of light and airy and so fun so as we've talked about all these different elements of joy I feel like a lot of them we've talked about roundness colorful bright surprise and all of this feels sort of stereotypically feminine to me do you think the aesthetics of joy are sort of inherently feminine or is there a male version of this too? That's a great question, Charlene. I think that we struggle with that because masculinity is kind of the default in our culture and that makes it more ordinary. So because it's ordinary, it has a built-in disadvantage that it automatically cancels out a lot of the qualities in this book. Like you can't be surprised by something ordinary. You don't feel like you transcend with something ordinary. You don't feel free with something ordinary. But I think the good news is that that is only our current 
perceptions of masculinity and those aren't set in stone and they can change and they are changing and that's a whole bigger discussion probably a whole other podcast maybe in the future but I think there's hope there and I was trying to think of some brands or just some examples of things that are more masculine and feel joyful and I was thinking of men's swimwear if you think of men's swim trunks that's a a place where like you can get really fun. Like you can have bananas or cacti on your swim trunks. And I just think it's really interesting that certain product categories have permission to be more playful and surprising and all the qualities in this book when other categories that we associate with masculinity don't. Right? If, if I can jump in with a little personal story. Somehow in the speeches that happened at my wedding, some friends brought up underwear and patterned underwear. And that is another place where I feel like the category of men's brands where they use a little bit more color and pattern. And I think somehow we ended up blurting out that Ryan had worn bacon and egg print (laughs) boxers for our wedding. And I love, usually you'll see men that they'll have on a really formal suit, but they'll put sort of rainbow socks with it or something like that. That little peak of color. I love that. Another example I thought of was a Minneapolis-based brand, Askov Finlayson. They're mostly like a performance kind of outdoor wear brand, but they have those North hats. They're like these woven hats that's just say the word North on them, and they have a huge pom-pom on the top, and they're really colorful. They look really 1980s and nostalgic, and maybe I'm negating them that they're not masculine, they're more gender fluid, but it's a masculine store with a really fun, iconic item that I think kind of answers this this challenge for me. I thought of a couple, too, after we talked. From a clothing standpoint, I feel like one of the earlier ones was Comme de Garçon. So you're talking about like an all-black sweatshirt, but then it has that little heart with those little eyes on it, that it has that little <laughs> element of surprise and a little bit more playfulness. And then as far as a designer, do you follow Adam J. Kurtz? I think he goes by Adam J.K. on Instagram. He does a lot of hand lettering that looks like all block lettering, but in kind of a quirky hand rendering. A lot of really bright colors, rainbows, and a lot of stuff about feelings or positivity, like keychains that like everything's going to be okay. He's one that I would say between the content being more about feelings and his aesthetic being really bright, quirky, I think he crosses into that too, where it's it's cute, but not cutesy. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So one of my favorite quotes from the book, I wrote it down here. She says, joy is what makes life worth living. And yet for some reason, we have decided that it is superfluous, the icing on the cake rather than an integral part of the cake itself. And I feel like that really sums up my big takeaway from this book. We, even as designers, we're supposed to be the ones that are the most creatively expressive and open to breaking with the norm. I feel like we even still feel reservations about that sometimes. And I wonder why do we let our own self-aware insecurities hold us back from joy? And this book made me aware of how much I was, I have been doing that. Like one example is one of my best friends and I, who's also a former coworker from our ex, every holiday we're texting each other. We're like, what outfit are you wearing? And we're always like, well, I was going to wear the fun sparkly sweater, but... 
I don't know, I would feel really out of place. So I'm just going to do like sweatshirt and leggings or whatever, just because you don't want to rock the boat with the default of the norm of the people around you. And I think this book helps give people permission to rock the boat a little more and just do things for the sake of it, like for the sake of joy. And it's okay to feel out of place. It's actually probably a good thing sometimes. Yeah, it seems like there's an inherent joy that comes from breaking the rules, confidently, at least, intentionally breaking the rules. I I think about a recent instance where I was looking at this really colorful, chunky pair of Nike shoes, and I was talking about it with my mom, and I thought for sure she's going to think I'm crazy or something. And she was like, ah, I absolutely love them. I wish I could get a pair. And I said, why don't you? And she's like, no, I couldn't wear that because of her age. And she lives in a small town where I'm like, what? Like tennis shoes. And it's just color. Anybody can wear that, you know. But again, the way we fall into these rules and about age and about I feel like your status is even aligned with that when you see suits. Suits are rarely in these bright colors. They're all very serious and gray and navy and black. And yeah, it has so many indicators in it. With breaking these rules and what does that mean and what does that reflect about yourself and is that what you want reflected? That I I think there's a reason we're kind of cautious about breaking those rules, whether it's right or wrong. And a lot of it, I feel like, are rules that we project on ourselves. Would anyone really care if your mom wore the fun sneakers? Probably not. Right. (laughs) If anything, they might bring joy to somebody who would see her that day and be like, wow. She's rocking a cool pair of kicks. Yeah, something I think of was one time I was trend shopping in New York in January during a blizzard and my boots completely fell apart and we're trying to like run around and go to all these stores. So I went into a store and I bought these faux fur lined galoshes and they were hot pink. And one person that I knew that I saw on that trip, and she was kind of a stereotypical, sophisticated New Yorker, she saw these boots and she was absolutely appalled by them. But as I was wearing them around the city, that is the piece of clothing that I think I've gotten the most compliments on of anything in my life, these hot pink boots. And a lot of it was from like moms and little girls. Like when little girls compliment your shoes, you're doing something right, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That is one thing. I refuse to get a black colored raincoat because who wants that when it's already dreary outside? And then I stepped up my game this year and I got Robin's Egg Blue wellies. (sighs) And it was raining this week and I was happy as can be out there (laughs) in all my colorful stuff. Just one other example about footwear from the book. Ingrid Fedeli talks about how she started wearing these sparkly, I think they were gold shoes out to run her errands just to make her errands a little bit more special and fun and I guess put a little spring in her step. And I just love that. That's another idea I want to steal from her. So another thought I had was before I had mentioned pool floats a little bit and it got me thinking back to a category that I worked in for a while. I haven't worked in this category for a few years, but I was designing beach towels for a long time, which is a very joyful category. It's very fun. And in a lot of the research that you would do for your product, you're looking at things in related categories. So you would look at swimwear, coolers, that sort of thing, like the things that people are taking to the beach and to the pool with them. And something even five years ago that was not really on the radar was novelty, fun, Instagrammable pool floats. 
And I feel like that has changed so much now. There's a whole pool float end cap almost in any store in the summer. And they're still fun. You need your glitter pool float and your uh, swan pool float and your rosé all day pool float. Like they're so fun. And you could say that it, it's an Instagram effect that made these so popular. But I would almost say that they were joyful to begin with. And Instagram just kind of showed how joyful they were. And that got me thinking, is there a way to identify those things that like, okay, it's not out there that much right now, but it's just joy for the sake of joy. And is that something that we can use to propose ideas? I think some of my clients would have been more comfortable with that than others. Have you thought about that? Hmm. Okay. I think that's how we can push things and come up with new things because I think it comes back to following those rules and being safe and yeah. maybe being a little bit more of a follower than a leader kind of taking those chances my mind immediately went to like yeah why aren't we doing a pineapple shaped couch and pizza <laughs> slice bookshelf yeah <laughs> I don't know I don't know why don't we do those yeah I, I'll have to think about that more is there anything do you have any critiques of the book Oh, I loved it so much. I didn't even think about any of the downsides. There's one category that I struggled with that we'll get into the specifics next week. How about you? I thought the organization of the book felt a little forced in some spots. I wish it had been almost a little bit more organic and not feeling like it had to fit into 10 boxes. Another thing that stuck out to me, she doesn't really do this, but I was a little bit worried about some of the scientific studies she was pulling if someone had read the book and then didn't dig more deeply into the studies if they could maybe use some of this information the wrong way like when she's talking about the effects of light on alzheimer's that was really fascinating but i could also see some kind of charlatan being like light cures cancer or whatever and and she didn't do that she doesn't advocate that but it felt like the science is only anecdotal in this which is appropriate for this book but if anyone was using this book as a jumping off point i would want more information about the scientific studies another thing that i was reading in the comments was this came up over and over that people were saying after i read this book i decided to wear this really fun skirt with a bow to work and had a great day and everyone loved it and now i wear it all the time and it seemed like this book was giving people permission to do things like that. And I think that's a force for good in the world. Yeah. I think this book breaks the perception that aesthetics are shallow. Because I think it really dives into a little bit more meaning that someone might think it's shallow to worry about what bow you're <laughs> wearing with your skirt. But like, yeah, it can have deeper effects and meaning on yourself and others that are going to interact with you. Yeah, and we shouldn't feel guilt about prioritizing that. Yeah. So next week, I have a little challenge for us this week. And I shouldn't say it's my challenge. It's actually one of Ingrid Fadali's challenges called joy journaling. So I'm hoping this week we can go along and let's try to capture 
do a little visual scavenger hunt and try to find things in our everyday life. Just snap a picture, take a note of these different aspects of joy that we come across in our life. And then maybe listeners can do that too and just tag at Design Gossip in them and then we can take a look and make a collection and see what most, most of us are experiencing, whether it's in your house or on a walk or a beloved object in your house or kitten whatever (laughs) i wish i had a kitten right now i know i know okay well i love that challenge challenge accepted thank you charlene all right (laughs) so next week we'll be talking about each of the 10 different categories discussing some of the examples that ingrid shares in the book and then also talking about our own experiences throughout the week yeah so listeners if you haven't read the book go ahead and check it out or watch the TED Talk or listen to us and decide if you want to read the book afterwards. Right? We're here doing the work. You can decide after the fact if you want to dive in. Yeah. All right. Have a good day, Mabe. You too. Bye, Charlene. Bye. All right, listeners. The gossip doesn't have to stop here. Spread the love. Share this episode with your bestie. Leave us a review on iTunes and come mingle with us and other creatives by joining our Facebook group. Follow us on Instagram at Design Gossip, all one word. And while you're there, show us what you've been working on with hashtag Design Gossip. Check us out on Pinterest to see all the inspiration we've been gathering. And finally, you can get show notes as well as a ton of amazing resources just for you at our website, www.designgossip.club. That's designgossip.club. Thanks, listeners. I'm Maeve Parker. And I'm Charlene Williams. Okay, bye. Later, babes. Did you hang up? You hang up. No, you hang up. No, no, you hang up. No, really. <laughs>